Hi, everybody. David Noor back with you for another episode of Curvebenders Live. I'm elated that my guest today is a longtime friend, a mentor, a former client, and just one of the greatest guys you just, you're going to meet and just have the pleasure of getting to know. Craig Lamasters, chairman of GXG, is my guest. Hello, Craig. Hey, David. What a privilege to be with you. We, we've, we have a lot of tentacles together, so to speak. So right. what a blast to join you today. Uh, it is great to have you. Thanks for making the time. Uh, Craig, let's start with your background. For those sure. that may not know as much about you, can you just talk for a couple of minutes about where you've been and what you've done so far? Yeah. So the good news, David, is a super simple background. So I worked for the same company for 27 years, was the, the bulk of my work life and, and was had the good fortune of being CEO of a company called Assurant, headquartered here in Atlanta, uh, and got to be the CEO for 11 years, um, decided six years ago to uh, retire from public company life and started my own consulting firm. Um, and um, and had a blast doing that, didn't know anything about it, but my passion was really around, uh, I just felt that I'd been blessed with so many people that poured into me to help me grow a big company that I should go do that with others and for others, actually. Uh, so that's been fun. And then I did a super wacky thing a year ago. I got the itch to run another big organization. So I spent about 80% of my time running a Latin America-based um, uh, family enterprise. So I actually commute, and don't feel sorry for me, I commute from Atlanta to San Juan, Puerto Rico, spend two weeks a month there and two weeks here in Atlanta. So uh, I've been super blessed, David. I tell people all the time, I had the best big company job you could have, and I get to have a fun little company and now running a bigger organization again. So that's that's my story. I'm married. My wife's a radiologist. Um, we've been in Atlanta for 25 years, and my kids really grew up here. We have four amazing uh, kids. My three grown kids that are out of college actually work with us here at GXG, so it's turned into a bit of a family enterprise. Um, so that's been a real blessing as well to get to uh, pour into my kids from a work perspective. So that's it. I love sports. Um, but we were talking right before the broadcast. You have to teach me how to fly fish because right. I'm tired of just watching your LinkedIn and stuff. So that's fantastic. So, <laughs> that's so me. I, as I when I remembered our work together uh, yeah. and, and this is kudos to you, you have a knack for identifying uh, and really developing exceptional talent. And more importantly, you're always genuinely curious. You were curious about how things work. You were curious about how to solve problems. You were curious about the topic of today, which is how to get unstuck. Talk <laughs> a little about where did the, the, the spark for GXG come from? You've written a book on this topic. So give us a, a little history of this idea of really working on challenges and opportunities where, where you're genuinely stuck with even really yeah. bright people. Yeah, no, and it's been a bit of an obsession of mine, David. I'm super competitive, and as I came up in the company, I always took on assignments, or actually was given assignments, where I just loved growing either new businesses or fixing businesses. And I just learned early on, like I said in the introduction, I had some amazing people that poured into me. And this is where I started thinking about this idea of what, what really is wisdom, and for me, this intersection of knowledge and experience, not one or the other, but both. And, and I just started leaning on really wise people. And you know what's funny along the way? If you ask wise people to help you, they actually will. 
And this is a, I mean, it's a big part of your body of work for decades now, but it's so cool. And so many of us don't take advantage of it. So I started, and you know, part of it, quite candidly, um, I was not the smartest guy in my company. I mean, I didn't have a Harvard MBA, um, you know, didn't probably have the academic or just the pure intellect of a lot of my peers, which is fine. We all have different gifts. And part of mine was around communication, I think. And I just figured out if I just talk to these really wise people, they just teach me stuff. So that was really when I decided to leave public company life, that was the root of this very simple concept I just wanted to share with others. And that's what I've been doing for six years, just sharing it with others. Love it. So over the six years, I know you yeah. and the team have done some really interesting work. Craig, what are the biggest areas you see PL leaders or executives and boards? Where, where are they stuck? Where are you I, are there some common threads you're running into where there's a facet of the business where they just can't seem to uncover. Yeah, I would say broadly, David, it's around growth. I mean, that is the theme that really trips us up. And if you look at our engagements, you know, do we dive into all kinds of cool technology stuff and AI and blockchain and the list goes on and on, right? And 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 other topics we do, but it all leads back to growth. I know most of your audience have big jobs, PL leaders. At the end of the day, my feeling is this is what we really get paid to do. I mean, it's our responsibility to be looking forward, figuring out these pathways to growth. And and quite frankly, that's that's my passion. I mean, we doubled a very big company at Assurance in some some of it was pretty challenging times and and that's was just became my passion is if we really listen to this wisdom um we can grow even in tough times and and pretty good example right now it's been pretty tough couple of years for most of us right but i'd say that is the unequivocal number one theme is gosh how do we grow either more or faster or whatever but broadly the number one topic one of the most memorable conversations I remember you and I having was, uh, at, you know, over a cup of coffee. And you said, you know, if you ask someone who's done it, who has seen the challenges, has been in the yeah. pitfalls, who knows how to do it, they will dramatically accelerate your ability to get traction, to test ideas, to prove the hypotheses that you're going after. So yeah. how do you find that wisdom? Where does it come from? Uh, how do you get the right background experiences focused on that client challenge? Talk a little about the, your process. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love that, David, because most of us, and I did for many years, miss this, and it's a little bit of the secret sauce I hope we've developed at GXG, is the old saying, the devil is in the details, really applies here. And so we spend a lot of time breaking down this destination of growth that folks want to get to and really get granular on what are the component parts of what I would call wisdom, knowledge and experience that are the absolute imperatives to get there. Okay. And, and the reason that's important is I believe um, we all have what I would call a swim lane of wisdom. Right. And this is where it gets confusing, I think, to a lot of people is that this idea that wisdom is this all knowing, you know, there's only one of those. And, and for me, but this this Yoda figure, right, I'm going to go stand there and just get wisdom on every top. It doesn't exist. 
but what does exist are these swim lanes and so we spent a lot of time identifying what's missing in these swim lanes because the actual search part is easy once we understand that i mean i'll give you a quick example so if I needed to find somebody, particularly in a strategic selling engagement, which we do a lot of, that had this amazing knowledge and experience around relationships, maybe even wrote a book called Relationship Economics, right, who spent his life's work on this topic, would that be, you know, somebody that could probably help somebody else understand this in a facilitated, highly facilitated, I'd say so. And so if you take our example of that, right, which is our prior history and relationship, right, and, and just think about it in the context of any component part of what we need to do to grow, right? And last thing I'd say is the technology stuff is my favorite. We do tons of digital transformational work. Everybody's kind of going through that. Devil's in the details, right? So if we have a destination in a digital outcome that we want, right, which is just an enabler of a growth strategy, right, it's not an ends to itself, but we get so caught up in the big picture and the blinking lights. Well, what is it about that transformation that we're actually stuck on, the wisdom we don't have? It can be very granular, like we don't understand SEO. It could be super complicated, like how do we actually use AI to do it and everything in between. And then that's the person we're going to go find. And then back to finding him, once we understand what we're looking for, boy, if you go ask people in the right way that have this wisdom, and I just encourage all of your, your listeners and viewers to do this, if you ask them in the right way, almost all of them will help you. What do you mean? <laughs> by, well, I love that. What do you mean by the right way? What is what again? And because so, I'm thinking that that wisdom a didn't come to them overnight b didn't come to them for free it took time that's it right took time it took effort it took resources so and and these people are busy so how do They're you busy. go ask, how do you go ask them the right way yeah so we do a lot of homework um, we approach people very respectfully because of their time um, and all we ask is a chance to explain, in our case, our little business model and how we use the wisdom to solve very hard problems. This is a very contrarian consulting sort of process. So we have an advantage, I found after six years, that it just sort of intrigues people. It's like I've never heard or done anything like this. But once we get them engaged, what we really want to do is the detail again, the granularity of like, David, this is what I know about you, right? I've done my homework and here's why I know you have wisdom in this swim lane. Okay, so first of all, it's a respectful, thoughtful approach because I'm not just dialing for dollars and saying, hey, can you help me on something? And that usually captures 90% of our audience because most people don't do that. Right. And then our ask, whether it's an advisory board format that we use or in our coaching format, um, while there's a time commitment, what I'm focused on and our team now is focused on is here's what our client gets, but here's what you get. And we want to share with them the learning that they're going to receive by engaging in this relationship. Now, here's the bottom line that I, I tell people all the time because they, they're blown away, especially with new clients. We form these, these little boards we do, and they're like, oh, why are these people doing this? And I said, here's what – and this is a learning for me last six years – that most people, not everybody, but most people are blown away when they're thoughtfully asked about your wisdom and they understand what you're good at, not everything. And – are asking us in a way that we're actually going to produce an output for something. 
And you'll be shocked, your audience will be shocked if you try this, how many people will say yes to that versus a vague, let's go to a networking event and you know, pay me some money and you can talk to people and learn from them and you can help them and all that. Everyone's done with that model that I talk to. Um, so that's how we that's how we do it. It's, it's really worked well. I, I love the Craig the Titan aperture around again breaking down the big problem into its key components, yeah. and then really understanding what's missing and identifying the right uh, source of that wisdom. So go down this scenario with me. There's a client that is stuck in this piece of their digital transformation, and yeah. you bring in an advisory board of the right people that have done it. They know exactly what to do and how to do it. How do you ensure that beyond the wisdom, the source sharing that, it yeah. actually gets embraced? It gets adopted. Yeah. It gets implemented because you're you're not you're no longer in that assurance kind of hierarchical leadership role. To, you can't mandate. So you're trying to influence without authority. Yet yeah. the adoption of that wisdom and application of it is critical. How do you yeah. ensure it actually sticks and creates material impact? Yeah, so, so and, I, and again, I love this question, David. It's, it's a super thoughtful way that you're thinking about the business model because the traditional thought process on, let's just take meetings and strategy work and all this, is let's have a meeting, let's discuss it, and we'll come up with three things that we have to go do. Okay, and then it tends to be a big stick approach like, you know, David, you do this, Jimmy, you do this, Jane, you do this. And then it's kind of a I call it the circle of stuck we get into. This is the antithesis of this. And, and here's what I mean by this is I would argue it's I would I would ask the question almost in reverse. Why don't people go do this stuff? Right. When, and I did this for years till, again, we sort of figured out this methodology at Assurant. And I call these, you know, sort of stuck leaders, right? And and so why why don't we go make the change that sometimes is very obvious? And I would argue that it's about confidence. That if you think about something you're confident in, whether it's sports, whether it's fly fishing for you now, um, whether it's a part let's not, of let's not go that let's not go that far. I saw I saw some of the video. I'm 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 impressed. <laughs> I'm just gonna say. Um but the, anything, it could be you're speaking. I mean, you're, you're a 20-year veteran speaker. I, I would argue you have a lot of confidence in that. I've seen you. I know you do. And But once you do that, you don't hesitate, right? You, you, you go do it, and you move at a speed that's exceptional. We used to call that agile leadership, okay? So if that's our end state, which I believe it still is, I would call it an unstuck leader, then then why do we not have confidence? Well, it's super simple in my mind. Whenever we do new stuff, and it doesn't take very new, it can be just minusculely newer, our confidence, what we've proven is it doesn't go down incrementally, it plummets, right? So if I am good at, and this is myself talking, everything I do is based on my own experience. If I'm good at global expansion, but all of a sudden I'm trying to go to China, right? And China, if you haven't noticed, is a lot different than most of the rest of the world. But yet I think it's just incrementally different. Then I get stuck because it's actually exponentially different and I have zero confidence. 
don't know how to behave in China. I don't know how to find people. I don't know how to do business. I mean, the list is gigantic. So all I would argue is, and this is why I think the output flows very naturally, is what I really want to do is the people in our board meetings, I want their confidence to soar because then nobody has to go make them do this stuff. And they shouldn't. You should want to go do it. And the confidence soars in direct correlation with what? The wisdom going up. So while we're hearing the knowledge and experience, aka wisdom, you're sitting literally next to it and you're working very intimately with these folks that we bring in and your confidence soars. We've never had, we've done hundreds and hundreds of these in the last six years. We've never had an execution problem. And that's why I love the question, because that is a paradigm that we had. And I had it as well. I mean, as an operator, I did this wrong for so many years. Let's come out of the meeting, start beating on people, have another meeting, bring in some consultants. Why are we getting it done? Well, we didn't get it done because there's people that have to go do it. Mm. And they don't have any confidence. So I don't want to raise the confidence. So uh, I've gotten access to the wisdom. I believe in their insights. Do I, do I always have the capability in-house to go execute what they've shared? Or, or do you run into yeah. sometimes we don't know how to do that or we don't, we don't have the depth or the skills to go do that? So, yeah, so you absolutely. Said, you said execution yeah. isn't the challenge. What are the challenges in implementation? And again, I, I don't want to also confuse vibration with forward motion. The, yeah. If the end result is we're going to drive growth. What yeah. keeps these organizations from, and again, you've had some phenomenally successful client examples, the ones that haven't succeeded, what keeps yeah. them from actually creating the outcome, material outcomes they're after? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I think leaders get paid for one thing and everything else is a distant second. And I believe we get paid to make choices. That's literally our job everything else is important and there's 100 definitions of leadership but and this is the answer to your question is we are all very comfortable spending hours and hours in rooms and discussions and flip charts and powerpoints and we'll come up with all kinds of really cool ideas and things but we get stuck on the decision making and what we do in our sessions or we don't get paid. I brought this weird model where only if it works do we get paid. I hadn't had to get any money back yet. But the reason I did that is because what I will do is make sure that we make decisions, right? But we only make decisions and it happens on its own because as it correlates to the confidence rising, then we make the decision. Let me give you a simple example. One of the very first engagements I did six years ago was a um, an acquisition gone bad, which any of us in business, more than five minutes have had an acquisition gone bad, right? I mean, it's it's not uncommon. And this was a um, uh, consumer packaged good company that bought into the vitamin business and they were really struggling. Why? It's a very different business. They thought it was the same and it wasn't. Okay, so the acquisition has gone bad and for three years, they're just kind of killing each other, right? I mean, it's just not um, not a healthy environment, so to speak. So we just went and found four or five people. This is pretty early on as we're even figuring out the model. But we find four or five people that had, we believe, done exactly what they were trying to do with this acquisition. Okay. And here's, here's the practical example of how. So I had the CFO in there. One of the problems they had was all these plants that they inherited. 
common problem, right? And it was pretty obvious to our board members and even to me right away, like you gotta close some of these plants. Well, guess what? One of the board members we happened to bring in that had this wisdom was able to sit next to the CFO and in two hours, walk them through. And it was like magic saying, hey, this is what we did, exact same scenario. Here's why we closed it. Here's how we did it. And the CFO, who was a huge skeptic on the business model, looked at me and said, we've been talking about this for three years. And this afternoon, we're going to go make this decision. And so over three meetings, these does not take long, David, because that raised his confidence enough. Like, why hadn't he done it? He's a good guy. He's a smart guy. He didn't have the confidence to do it. But that guy sitting next to him said, you can do this because we did it and it was okay. And so over three meetings, we went from a an acquisition that was underwater on the model um, to high double-digit growth and about a $60 million net operating income profit the next year. Um, so that's when I fell in love with this, with somebody else's company, not just Assurant. And that was sort of the magic, but that's that confidence just just soared. Love that. Love that example. And, and you're right. If you've been in business more than five minutes, you've seen M&As look great on paper, and yeah. then it just kind of falls apart for various reasons. How yeah. often are you walking into cultural challenges, cultural <laughs> And again, you, you, without naming companies, you and I have seen companies with the right arm has no clue what the left arm is doing. And yeah. you know what? This is my sandbox. Don't don't mess with my sandbox. And you, yeah. you and I have seen the us and them versus the we. Yeah. So how yeah. often is it a cultural challenge or yeah. an opportunity to really create yeah. an impact? Almost 100 <laughs> percent. One of my big learnings, I got so excited when we started doing this and getting these engagements and like this, we're solving M&A and I, I, it hit me. I wasn't smart enough to figure it out in advance, but the first few engagements, I realized that most of this is cultural stuff. And, and part of the problem, I think, with company culture is our reluctancy. And in most cases, sheer refusal to actually share our wisdom with each other within the company. What do, you stand, what, do you, what do you attribute? What do you stand by that? What do you attribute that to? Why? What is it? Is it? Well, is it self-preservation that if I if I share that with you, it makes me less valuable in the organization? Of course, we're all competing for the next job. I mean, we're sinful human beings. You know that, and and we're com we're competing for the next jobs. And and I believe most organizations have missed the boat on this. We we created this because I think in some ways it's a good thing. But you, you show me a company that the first thing they tell me is we don't need you because we already do this already. We have these mentoring groups and everybody helps each other. We have this amazing collaborative environment. Like, Great. Let me just sit in one of your meetings. And oh, by the way, why are your earnings so bad? I mean, if this is all working, <laughs> I mean, the proof is in the output. And it's so funny to me, David, and I see you chuckling, but it's it is true that none of them help each other. I mean, we, we say we do, and we'll get to, I call it the threshold of sharing wisdom, right? So here's what happens. Here's the fun part is, and I didn't, again, wasn't smart enough to figure this out in advance, but one of the things we realized is by bringing in outside wise people, it somehow, and I'm not a psychologist, so I can't explain it, but it diffuses that reluctancy among the internal leaders to 
actually share their wisdom and solve problems. So what we've seen, and we track all this because it's kind of fun, but our output, which again, fortunately we haven't been stumped yet, um, our positive output, about 50% of the quote answers have come from the external people and 50% internal. And I've had more CEOs debrief with me the last, even the last year, we've been super busy sort of coming through the COVID stuff and CEOs call me and say, I had no idea that Jane and our senior team knew how to fix this. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's another conversation for maybe coaching with you later. <laughs> but the good news is now you've seen it. Right. It took these outside folks to diffuse it, bring it out because these outside folks, they're not looking for jobs. They're not they're not trying to impress it. They're doing this. They, I mean, we pay them a little tiny fee relative to what they could command, David. I mean, a little fee, but they do it because they want to share their wisdom and then it brings out the other wisdom. It's we've super a, fun. We've got a great question from a longtime friend and, you know, a former corporate executive and now an investor. Uh, yeah. Eric McCarthy, how can performance incentives work better to facilitate alignment? Well, I, I mean, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big pay for performance guy. So, you know, that's kind of one of my business love languages. Um, and, and quite frankly, I think I see the correlation in any stage company, I don't care how small or big it is that will actually step up and put performance metrics and correlating income, meaningful income on the table for this, I call it the destination, go from point A to point B. There's a huge, for us anyway, and, and the wonderful people we get to deal with, and then now they own my own company that I'm running again in, in, in Latin America, uh, just an enormous correlation. But what, what I see is, it's always third or fourth. We talk about comp. What do we say, David? Right. Oh, we're going to pay you a salary and then maybe, you know, a little bit of step or a little bit of short term, maybe some great benefits and then long term. And I just my answer is let's reverse that and talk about what is the output we're looking for. And as an enterprise, I'm going to step up and do that. Last thing I would say there is and it's a question for you. You see as much of this as I do. Why? Why do we cap that? Never, it's one of the things that drives me crazy. I've never understood that. Uh, well, that person is making that. too much money. Uh, I, I strenuously object to that person making too Isn't much that money. funny? By the way, they're running an incredibly profitable business. They've got incredibly high retention yeah. numbers, employee yeah. performance you know, numbers, and yeah. but they're making too much money. I, I, find it, I find it really sad. We, we've actually had some clients, again, flip this. And, and, and that's always my question is like, well, wait a minute, if it truly is tied to performance per Eric's question, wouldn't we want like unbridable profit growth or whatever? And it's always funny to me, especially on, on short term performance, when we say it's a, you know, a 50 percent step and, you know, the range is is 50 percent to 100. It's like, well, what happens when they go above 100? I'm the only one benefiting from that. Yeah. Why would he do that? Yeah, anyway, well, I, that's, 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 yeah, I love, I love Eric's question because I, I, again, I think there's so much upside for companies and uh, we just have to be bold enough to break some of those historical paradigms of how we pay people. 
for our audience, if you just joined us, you're listening to Craig Lamasters, chairman at GXG and is a former client and CEO at Assurance Solutions, where the team looks for opportunities where an enterprise is stuck, really brings a board, advisory board of wisdom who's been there, done it to kind of not just, you know, give them consulting, but it's the antithesis of that. Show them the path, really show them uh, and, and really help them unlock uh, that wisdom. So, uh Craig, you have that initial meeting. What happens between those meetings? The team, I'm assuming, has some things to kind of go follow up and implement mm -hmm. and make some of those yeah. tough decisions and come back. It, it can't be all perfect. It can't be, yep, when I did it, it worked. Are there opportunities yeah. where we tried it and it didn't work or we tried it and mm -hmm. or we didn't do it? And, and I'm curious as to why not. <laughs> yeah, no, we can. And, and we're, we're big. We call them working groups, but it's basically our version of sort of PMO, David, where we we I want to land after we and, and our when I say board meetings, these are not ongoing things. We, we, we solve this stuff in three meetings over about a four to six month period. So it's a pretty tight window, which is, I think, all you need. But in between the meetings, we do these working groups. And but it's a little bit of a twist. Again, I, I love contrarian ways of doing this stuff because it's not the traditional, David, here's 10 things to go percolate and work on. We don't leave the meeting until we've landed on three needle moving things that are truly going to make a difference between now and the next meeting. Again, keeping our destination in mind. But here's the secret sauce. Every internal person is then in that working group is paired up with an external person. So they're sticking with them. So they're jumping on Zoom. It may be in person now that we're back sort of traveling. It used to be. Uh, but they're on Zoom with them side by side. And why, why do we do that? Because we don't want them to get stuck in between the meetings, to your point. And it's very easy to do that. Why? Because we drop back to our old ways, mm -hmm. right, where we'd rather talk about stuff. So, so our outside advisors, again, these are all operators. These are people just working like us. I mean, so it's not like they're, they're full-time consultants or, or retired, they're operators, but they love these calls because they help keep it moving and they're gonna push that internal team to do what? Make decisions between the first and second meeting. And guess how we start the second meeting is these three working groups get to read this stuff out. Now, I'm a super competitive person, and I believe competition has a wonderful role in organizations. So we tee this up very deliberately. It's you don't want to show up and not have all your stuff really humming. And we've never had an issue. It's actually a very healthy competition to get further down the road. And so we repeat the cycle. It's a very simple business model. We repeat the same cycle, meeting two, readout, debrief, breakouts, Meeting three, the same thing, and then we get to the answer by the end of meeting three. Um, and, and, but I think it's that pairing up of the two that really, really makes a difference. And what I'm, what I'm fascinated by is early on you said, you know, the source of these wisdom, the operators who've done it, come yeah. out and support these organizations who are stuck. And you said, here's what the yeah. client gets. Obviously, they get unstuck. What, what do those board members, <laughs> what do those people with wisdom, what do they get out of it? You know, it's, it, it's, 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 it's it's been a, another big surprise for me because the first few boards we did, I'd ask them like, they loved it. They said, they'd be happy to do more. I'm like, yeah, why, why? tell me again why you did this. You're a rock star and you crushed it. But I said, well, two things I got out of it. And I just, I still to this day find it super fascinating. Number one, I learned from all these people in here. I got to meet five new people externally that I would have never met in my work life. And I got to meet five internal people that, are really interesting people. 
And you know what's cool now, six years into it, is so many of our clients and advisors are are still connected and friends, and they've helped each other. Some have actually gone to work for each other because uh, it's pretty heart level stuff we're working on. Second reason that they get out of it, and this is, you, you're, I think you'll find this actually very funny, is that this company actually goes and does what I suggested. And often my own company doesn't. Um, <laughs> and, and that becomes in the first meeting incredibly motivating because we tend to get people that are real hypos in companies that, again, have a really nice swim lane of wisdom. And I wish I could share the detail, but one of the bigger, um, we'll call it software companies that you would know, one of the highest potential guys in the company running Latin America at the time was on a board. And I mean, this guy could do anything with his time and he was probably going to run this company um, someday. And I asked him after the meeting, he called me and he said, I just want you to know that was an amazing experience. I'm like, I, I love this. I'll do as much of it as you want me to do. And I'm like, Mario, why? I mean, you were amazing. He said, Craig, I, I get to go to all, I get to sit at the big boy table at my company, but they never, ever actually go do any of this stuff. And he said, this company you brought me into, they did some of it before the end of the day. Mm. And that really fulfills me. And I'll help them any way I can. Two I analogies. Say, Isn't that cool? Two Isn't analogies. That cool? Two analogies yeah. come to mind. One painter's house needs painting. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. you're never That's a hero. A great one. You're never a hero in your own hometown, right? You you can't be Mario, you can't be that smart if you work here. <laughs> and 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 you're suggesting for us to do these things as an example. Right. But it's I think those are those are great. I'll plagiarize those because those right. are great. Oh, no, really? Those are great ways to to articulate that, but well, it's very real. I hear it all the time. So you brought up that obviously these advisory boards are are, yeah. uh, are are great, and I know you're passionate about the lifetime value of that client, and you're often yeah. engaged to tackle the next one that we're stuck on. And you also yeah. mentioned coaching. You yeah. and I have seen often the the leader. For whatever reason, it's often behavioral, right? Winning at yeah. any cost and you know adding too much value, and th that's the person that needs the coaching. Talk about yeah. when is that coaching appropriate, relevant? How does that help them in this whole unstuck category? Yeah, and and just to preface that, I mean, when I talk about coaching, we we, we come at it a little different, a bit of a contrarian again, where. I love what I would call traditional behavioral based coaching. I mean, um, I know you do a lot of it. Some of my best friends do it. I, I got to participate in amazing coaching. And again, I think behavioral psychology is important, particularly as leaders. Um, but I always felt like there was a little piece missing from that, which is, I think, more consistent with our business model, which is particularly as I move up in an organization, right? There become these, what I would call wisdom gaps. And to answer your question specifically, I think they're in what we would call the moments that matter. And what those are for me is if I get promoted, um, if I'm running a PNL for the first time, if I'm a successor for another big job, I mean, these are all these moments that matter. And usually at those inflection points, again, if I look at myself, if I got that next big job, that was great news, but I immediately had these wisdom gaps. 
and we do this day in and day out in organizations, I believe, where, you know, it's a good person, they've done great at this job, and now all of a sudden the director of finance becomes the CFO. Well, how many hours of wisdom and training and knowledge does that new CFO have interacting with shareholders? Um, actually working on the cultural aspect of M&A and not the spreadsheet. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? So those are wisdom buckets. And that's what I want to address with the same methodology. And that's why our practice is, is really fun. And it complements the behavioral part, which is just be honest with what the wisdom gaps are. And guess what? Same methodology. Somebody teased me the other day. It's like, you're not smart enough to come up with with a different, um, with more than one business model. I said, yeah, probably not, because it's the same thing we do at the boards, right? If I have a senior executive stuck on strategic selling and relationships, right, would I rather have him talk to David Knorr for an hour or somebody who's run a strategic selling operation for an hour, knowing exactly what he's stuck on? That's a pretty meaningful hour. And you don't need days and weeks and months to teach this stuff. You'd be, I mean, my clients, our clients are amazed at when we do what we call facilitated impact coaching calls with, um, with experts, uh, operator experts, the number one feedback we get is I had no idea I could learn that much in 55 minutes. No idea. And again, but it's kind of how we were supposed to learn. I mean, it really is. That's how you're supposed to learn. And I, and I got to tell you, I, 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 uh, I've been blessed to get to know a, a, a very successful serial entrepreneur with several yeah. very high profile exits. And I asked them, I said, tell me how you learn. Tell me how you grow. And yeah. you know, I was expecting the traditional approaches of I read a lot or listen to podcasts. And yeah. and his comment was I, I surround myself with, with some really bright people and I talk to them. And, and it's actually the fastest way. It seems to be the most efficient way of kind of soaking in what I need to know, which is fill that that wisdom gap, which leads to uh, Larry Tyler, another very seasoned executive is joining us. Sounds like being a learner, either internal or externally oriented is one of the keys to this successful model. Craig, how do you determine if someone is a learner or not (laughs) and to get them involved with their help or wisdom? Yeah, actually, I want to thank Larry for this because I misunderstood this early on because I was focusing on the learning and there is a learning act. Clearly, you have to be, you know, you mentioned curiosity earlier. You have to have an element of learner. But here's the punchline that that hit me like a ton of bricks. It was more about humility than it was just the desire to learn. So the only thing that I'm really digging deep when I interview prospective clients, especially C-suite folks, excuse me, the number one thing I'm looking for is enough humility to one, accept that it's a little bumpy trying to get to our destination. And number two, embrace the idea that if I bring a David Knorr to talk about relationships, who knows more than other people, you're going to listen. And what's cool is, I think particularly during COVID and coming out of COVID a little bit, there's a lot more humility, but it's not always there. And we've actually passed on a number of engagements um, because the, the leadership team just couldn't quite get there. Because the learning part, I would argue that most people have a little bit of an intuitive, I need to learn because we all have to go to school and we do all this. But not everybody has enough humility to say, I've got to listen to other people. 
So that's what I'm looking for. I'm reminded, Larry, to build on that, I'm reminded what a mentor drove into me, which is confidence, which Craig talked about earlier, is knowing that you know a lot, yet the humility to, to know that there's a lot more I can learn. Oh, arrogance. Awesome. Arrogance is that same confidence which says, I know a lot, and regrettably, the, the misperception that there's nothing new you can learn. And that's and where that yeah. kind of uh, blockage comes in. And Craig, similarly, I often in my coaching and my work, I'm, I'm looking for, are they, are they, do they have the courage to, to kind of admit to that? Listen, I, there's a lot of stuff I'm very good at, but you know, we don't, we don't have it all. We don't know it all. And that yeah. independent perspective goes a long way. So, yeah. so let's go. Uh, Eric has a follow-up question, comment, wisdom gaps, fascinating. <laughs> the question on how cultures can self-generate maps so everyone can see them. We'll tackle this. Love it. So, so is there such thing as a kind of a culture that says here's some of our wisdom gaps as a team, as it maybe a leadership team, or not just an individual? I, I hope so. What one of our great hopes going into our engagements is, and it's probably not the best business model, but I want to teach organizations how to do this. I, I mean, this will sound super weird since this is obviously my company, but this is the least original business model ever created, I believe, because this is what we're supposed to do. So part of my hope is that as we teach these organizations, like how we do it, we're facilitating, we're bringing it all together. And I tell them as we start, I want you to be able to go do this. Now, fortunately, we've been at it six years and I think about almost 100%, I think it's been one or two, but almost 100% of our clients have invited us back to do more of this. But, and I think the reason is back to this question, um, it's harder internally than we think it is right even when we take people through the process we teach them how to do it and there's a great spirit of incredible collaboration coming out of it something weird happens when you go back and it's just your team doing it unfortunately we see a lot of this coming back where we start you know kind of kind of bringing our our stuff back in the fold and we're not sharing it um, I wish it wasn't that way. I mean, it's kind of good for our business, but there have been exceptions where people have learned this and, and made it back to the question, part of the culture, like, Hey, let's just get good at this. I mean, this is pretty deep collaboration. I mean, and, and, and I want them to, it's why I wrote this, you know, hundred page book. I wrote a very simple book to show people exactly what we do, how we do it. I, I don't, there's no, there's no secret. I mean, I think we have, have hopefully built a process that makes it go super smooth and easy, but it was so impactful when I did it at Assurance. I just want people to try it and mm -hmm. use the methodology. Uh, so thank you for that. Larry also jumping in, just saying, you know, a highly important point, Craig, about the humility and, and uh, thanks for thanks for pointing that out. My question of you is I, I learned through Eric and I know each other through the National Association of Corporate yeah. Directors. Very early on as a board member, you're taught, you know, nose in, fingers off. You're there to ask questions and and and, you know, govern, not necessarily lead, manage, be the operator. Does this does your approach have relevance for board members and or do, do traditional board members ever get involved with the leadership team? on this on this because the, the other perception is you know we're going through digital transformation let's go get a you know a technology executive who's done this and put them on our board and 
they'll provide the wisdom that we need versus yeah. the model. Yeah, no, I, I call that the Yoda model, right? We're going to go. Uh, one, one of the big red flags I learned running big companies, David, when somebody tells me I've got, uh, you know, a guy, now guy or woman, you get the idea, but I got a guy that, you know, bring bring him or her in and we're good. And, and I still hear it all the time. And it's just comical to me. It's a, it's a big red flag. And I would argue that with boards as well. Yeah, great. Get a technology executive. Okay, well, let me have 10 minutes with them to ask about these circles, these bubbles of wisdom we need. And the reality is they probably haven't done 90% of that, right? I had a board member when I was going to China that became my liaison and all-knowing board member. Well, guess what? It turned out that he audited insurance companies there 30 years ago. Now, I would just, and super nice guy, but I would just ask you, how much wisdom, knowledge, and experience was there there to help me? And I, I love this, the, the way you're thinking about this, Dave, because I think it's a huge trap, right? And now that we're on the, the rabbit trail of boards, I would even argue that, again, there's so many reasons why my business model shouldn't be relevant. I think boards should do largely what I'm doing. Where did, where did, how did we get to, maybe you know this, how did we get to this place that boards were supposed to be about governance only, right? And, and maybe SOC drove us there originally, but how did we get to this place where it's about governance? And it's not about helping teach the younger executives in most cases how to do this stuff. Uh, yeah, that's why I got to tell you, I, 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 I appreciate a lot of often private company boards because A, the, the, the CEO yeah. wants your help. B, right, right. you bring more than just your own experience. You bring, you bring relationships and you bring invested right. interest in seeing them and you bring that hopefully that independence and, and a different perspective. Um, yeah. Switch gears to the pandemic. Obviously, you know, yeah. many of us thought once we had a vaccine, we'd, we'd be out of this phase, but... The last two years of this global pandemic, as you mentioned, a lot of leaders have had to think and lead differently. Are there some trends you've observed in the last mm. couple of years that you believe will have a lingering effect, impact on kind of the C-suite, on leadership, on driving growth, on transformation? Oh, absolutely. Number one on my hit list. And, and I actually be curious what you, you see probably more of this than me with the breadth of your work, David. But number one for me is um, around purpose. Mm. Um, this has driven so many people in our network and clients to really ask the question, why am I doing this? What's the purpose? Is it having any impact? And I'm sure as you've seen, a lot of people have left. I mean, a lot of people are doing different things or nothing at all right now. I mean, this is, and this will go on for a while. I thought initially this would be a sort of a short, short term blip. I, I see it every single day, both running a big company again and in our GXG practice. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing because I think it exposed that a lot of leaders were doing it for other reasons than purpose, maybe financial, it might be whatever, ego, it might be whatever. And, and I think COVID pandemic kind of brought us together. There's this great equalizer called things like health and future and our lives and our families. And all of a sudden we started doing backyard barbecues because we weren't allowed to go anywhere. And it felt pretty good. Maybe some people took up fly fishing. I don't know. 
but um, I can't get that out of my head, obviously. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that, that's the. I mean, there's others, but that's number one on my hit list. Yeah, I I um I often tell clients I'm uh, uh, I'm bullish on trends that pandemic accelerated. Yeah. So for a long time, you and I've talked about work-life blending. And, and yeah. there's no, there's no, you know, you don't have a work life and a personal life. You have one life. Agreed. So, uh, and I wrote about it in Curve Benders. And I think the pandemic it brought us a lot more, you oh. know, closer to our kids and grandkids. And you know what? Yeah. I, I don't, I'm, I can work 80 hour weeks. I'm just choosing not to. Right. And that's not right. where I, where I want to spend my time. The, the other one is, is if you think about, Craig, I'm fascinated by this uh, thought that if you think about the last couple of years, we haven't spent more time with more people. We've actually spent more time with fewer people. So it's really made our deeper, more meaningful, more impactful yeah. business relationships, even that much more omnipresent in our lives. And I oh. want to kind of make sure that's real, authentic, and develop some depth, not just touch a lot of different people. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And again, this has been a big part of your work for so long. And I think for that topic, to your point, it accelerated it. Um and I think there's a lot of business po topics. And we talked about digital earlier. I would say the whole space around digital AI technology, um, I think it's accelerated that dramatically. I mean, just simple stuff like this. I mean, how many of us actually did Zoom calls, honestly, did Zoom calls before yeah. the pandemic? Yeah. Not many. You're right. And we all learn how to become a, 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 a video culture, right? So Eric's got another great point. Boards must yeah. see their role in leadership development, helping to bring along new Jedi masters. Love, love Craig's perspective. Exactly right. Oh, way I, to go, Eric. I, That's awesome. I, I think the two of you are cut very much from the same cloth. So you you wouldn't be on the a guest on the Curve Benders live and podcast if I didn't ask you um, uh -oh. the the idea of certain relationships, Craig, yeah. create a indelible imprint in our journey, in our personal and professional growth journey, not just helping us execute short term, but really help us, you know, shape the leader, shape the leadership brand, shape the, the human being, better husband, better father, yeah. better grandfather that we become. Can you think of and maybe share one or two examples of curve benders in your own life? Yeah, I mean, personally for me, David, there's really three. I have, I've been blessed with many, but three. One was the chairman and founder of the company I grew up in, Assurant, and um, an amazing man, Kirk Landon. And I learned really innovation, what we would call innovation today from him. He was fearless on new frontiers on so many levels. And he let me run a pretty big PL at 26 and years old. And I messed it up so badly. And he told me many years later that he would sit in his office and chuckle about it. He knew what he was doing. He had the guardrails, but he was letting me, letting the thoroughbreds run in the guardrails. And, and so he really unleashed my passion on that. And the second ended up being, uh, or for me, was really uh, my longtime pastor here in Atlanta, Michael Youssef, who is a real sort of iconic pastor, Egyptian, and has an amazing personal story that anybody could go read about. And we became very dear friends in terms of faith and passion about bigger things that matter the most. Um, um, he has been my lifelong, adult lifelong um, 
curve bender. And then finally, my dad. I mean, David, I got to grow up in a family with um, some really neat, you know, figures from a particularly a business perspective. My great great grandfather started the orange business, the commercial orange business in Florida. So my family were in that business. And then my dad went on to run some very large companies. But what I learned, and he, he passed away a few years ago, Alzheimer's. But what I learned from him, which I've just never, ever let, never will let go of, is that it mattered as much of how we do things as what we do. And I've just never let that go. And he always would tell me in the good times, don't get too high and don't get too low in the damn. Just just work on how you're doing it. And it's just been amazing. So those are probably my top three. I, I think um, I think dad's looking down and smiling uh, the ear of where the son so. has ended up. So yeah. uh, one of the one of the questions that I was really intrigued by as I wrote the book and I, and I created a roadmap on how you yeah. potentially meet potential curve benders in your life, which was how do you become the curve bender in the lives of others? You've yeah. led a great, you know, again, you have a knack for finding and developing exceptional talent. I witnessed yeah, firsthand kind. your yeah. development of some young talent at Assurance and certainly GXG. What do you believe it takes to be Kirk for others that you've had the privilege to lead? Yeah, I, just one word for your your team, David, and listeners, um, and that's intentionality. Um I thought, if I go back to my first one, that Kirk just had a knack of this and he would wander around. He was big on management by walking around. And I was just one of the many offices he popped in from time. And years later, realizing he had an intentional plan to help me and five other leaders that he believed could could make a big impact. And and I've never, I've never wavered from that. I want to go seek out the people that I think have the desire. I mean, everyone's got the potential, I believe, largely, but the desire to make a big impact, and I'm going to be super intentional about it to the point I might drive them a little crazy. And now that I have three grown kids working in our company here in Atlanta, you have to you have to check with them next time to see how that's going. I love but it. I, I will pursue them and others relentlessly and be intentional about it. For our audience, if you missed it, you've been listening to Craig LeMasters, chairman at GXG, longtime friend, uh, mentor, past client, and just an all-around great guy. What what you see is what you get, both both virtually <laughs> and in person. So, Craig, thanks thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Uh, for our audience, every Tuesday, noon Eastern, uh, share insights from the book, uh, book number eleven, Curve Benders. I'm currently writing book number 12, which is a complete rewrite of Relationship Economics. That'll be out later this year. Come join us for guests. Come join us for insights. As always, thanks for being a part of our community. Don't forget, norgroup.com slash forum is our private online community where we have follow-on conversations on these topics. So come join us there. Craig, thanks again. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Take care, everybody.